Pig X, ideas in the swine industry worth sharing. Join extension specialists and swine industry experts as they engage in conversations aimed to help producers succeed in raising healthy pigs. Welcome to the third episode of the Pig X podcast. I'm your host, Delaney Howell. Today's episode is going to be a dynamic discussion between two swine industry experts about the importance and relevance of getting piglets started in the nursery. Let's tune in as they discuss all the elements related to this segment of production. Well, today's episode of the Pig X podcast is focused on starting pigs in the nursery, what you can do in your operations. And to dissect that topic a little bit more, we've got Marlon Hoagland, who is a veterinarian in the Midwest hog production region of Smithfield, as well as Dr. Tim Lola, a veterinarian with Swine Vet Center, one of 15 in the country. Gentlemen, thank you both for joining for today's episode of Pig X. I will open it up here for each of you to share just a little bit more about what you do with your roles as veterinarians. First, let's hear from you, Tim. I'm one of 15 veterinarians on staff at the Swine Vet Center, and we work really all over the country, primarily in the pig dense regions. And our focus for working for uh, production agriculture is to make them highly productive and highly profitable. So we're working day to day on all phases of the operation to have higher production and keep their costs in line or lower costs. So that's what we do. That's built us our reputation of working for very good farms that have high production. And that's what gets us up every morning. Just to echo a little bit of what Tim said, on the Smithfield side, we have a number of veterinarians across the country and focused here in the Midwest. We would oversee roughly about three and a half to four million market hogs a year. So a lot of the emphasis there is for sure pig well-being, welfare, trying to get similar type approach, the, the highest production we can at the lowest cost and be successful and, and see those animals thrive within our business. And all phases of production are important, but do you think there's a special emphasis or should be an emphasis placed on getting pigs started in the nursery? How vital is that for that pig's vivaciousness, I guess, for their remainder of their life? Tim, I'll open it up to you first. I think it's very important to get a very good start. And I have a couple years on Marlin, so I've been doing this for a long time. And the industry has really changed. And one of the big things that's changed is the nursery pig. And so 35 years ago, we had farrow to finish farms where they just, you weaned the pigs and they either stayed in the farrowing crate or went through a door and the nursery was right there. And they were smaller. And as the industry changed, we became multi-site. And so now you get that pig and you get them on a truck or trailer and you move them sometimes quite a long distance and they go to a different site and somebody has to warm that barn up and be ready to accept them. And so probably one of the biggest areas that mistakes can be made in all of that I just said, the the weaning process, the getting them loaded, the transporting them, getting them in a different barn, having the right environment, the right feed. And so if you mess that up, 
then you kind of have to live with that pig for the next five months. So I think the nursery and starting nursery pigs, very, very important for that six months of a pig's life. Yeah, Delaney, I would echo exactly what uh, Tim said there. And to me, I, I think of all the things when you break that chain down of hog production, that pig coming in the door, being fully ready before that pig comes, getting them started is vital in many ways to the individual pig. If there's the smaller pig or there's the pig that just needs a little extra help and it is getting those added stressors of movement, transportation, recommingling uh, with different pen mates, those things can in many ways be life or death to some of those pigs if it's not done well. And so to me, it is an extremely critical process, not complicated, but critical process to the success of that system, whether it's nursery or wean to finish. And you both mentioned quite a few topics at starting pigs in the nursery, but the one I want to dive a little deeper into right now is transportation and preparation, what things need to be done when you're looking at moving hogs to the nursery phase and what needs to be done to prepare the barn to receive those pigs? Definitely as we think about transportation, probably the first place to kind of look at that movement of that pig, the Wiener Finished Barn, we tend to move a lot of pigs a long distance uh, within our Smithfield Midwest business. Our sow base is, is generally between Oklahoma, Missouri, and Colorado and our Wiener Finish focus is here in Iowa. So those pigs will put four to 700 miles underneath them before they get to that wean to finish barn. And minimizing that stress with good transportation, just in general, it is vital for those trucks to be correctly ventilated and insulated for certain times of the year. And surprisingly, what some people forget in that piece of transportation, it can change dramatically from an Oklahoma to Iowa. It can be 60 degrees in one location and a snowstorm in another. So there is adaptations that have to happen and that truck driver needs to be aware while thinking out his plans and routes as he's moving those pigs to minimize that stress coming in, make sure they're not chilled. All of those stressors will dramatically set back that pig coming in the door if you're not careful. As it relates to then the next piece uh, upon arrival, the setup of that barn really needs to happen days in advance. I think some people perhaps view the pig is coming tonight or, you know, this morning I'm going to go to that barn that, that morning and get ready. And that's really a fallacy of thought process. You really need to have that barn ready to go full 24 hours in advance, in, in my view. And so that means three, four days in advance are all my, is my equipment working, is my heaters working, my brooders, get that barn temperature up to set point at least 24 hours before those pigs get there. If you've got brooders, we wanna make sure those brooders are fully functioning 24 hours in advance. And so that microsome of heat created is at the correct set point before the pigs get there. So those things that are critical with barn environment need to make sure they're fixed and ready to go. You can't be reacting once the pig arrives. It's too late, they're gonna get cold. They're not going to take off eating as effectively. And so that's an extremely critical process. And likewise with that, that barn, obviously from turn to turn, there's uh, biosecurity measures with power washing and disinfecting. We really have to have those barns nice and dry for those pigs coming in, making sure they've had ample time to go through that disinfection process, go through the inspection process, 
So the biosecurity pieces are in place well in advance and correctly for that group too. Those are critical up front. And then some other things that just probably seem obvious, right? But um, are your feeders set? Is there feed available to those pigs before they get there? Um, not any wet corners in those feeders, chunks. Sometimes if, if water got left over from the power washing, those are little details of making sure it's dry feed, it's done correctly, those pigs are getting started. All your nipples are cleaned out or cups are really cleaned out, fresh water for arrival so that those pigs come into that new environment. There's nothing to deter them from getting on feed and water correctly. A warm environment, they're not gonna go just lay in the corner and pile and be cold. So to me, those are critical pieces. The final thing that I like to really address then is just making sure that that barn is buttoned up and warm for those pigs. There's no drafting and the ventilation is set correctly, inlet management, curtain management, particularly in the winter, but year round for those little pigs that things are done correctly. So there's, again, not that stress coming into the barn. Tim, do you see things going off of what Marlon said? Are there areas that we see producers overlook? Well, what I'll do is I probably got a 30-year-old slide set on the first kind of pigs that were really multi-sided and how we took care of them. And uh, I'll show a producer that if we're, we're working on nursery management, trying to get death loss down to a half or 1% nursery mortality, say, this is how we used to do it. And the first producers that went multi-site, it's hard to describe to the people today how scared they were. People didn't think they could move 12-pound pigs. I mean, you move feeder pigs in the early days, but 12-pound pigs were not moved. And we started saying multi-site was going to work. And so we had people that built solid-sided, heated, insulated, and they put, you know, 100 to 200 in there. They had onboard thermometers that would read up in the cab of a truck. And they just didn't think you could haul little teeny pigs from 90, 95 degree environment of the farrowing crate across the road and uh, keep them comfortable enough. So you show them what we did in those days, and then you say, okay, so you're loading in a triple-deck semi and driving four hours. How much different do you think that is? And we all, like Marlon says, we're all trying to ventilate and put the boards upright on, on the trailers, but it is something to be very, very critical of. In those early days, Farrow to Finish Farms or even some of the early multi-site were nurseries. Some of them were double and triple deck stuff that had a heat plate in them, very no, well, essentially no draft in them. And they're very toasty and warm. And they put them in a big nursery pen, 50 or 100 pigs. And it's a more open barn. It's maybe more drafty. And so I use a slide set like that to say, hey, this is when we brag about that we really had good numbers. And I'd say, maybe you don't transport them quite as warm. You bring them in and there's a little bit more draft than I'd like. And to teach them how to read the pig. The pig will tell you, is this a good environment? Are they laying where you want? Are they laying flat out and not piling or huddling? And so you have to teach these people how to look at that. Sneak in the barn, take a look at them before you get them all up and read the pig and then adjust. 
Read the pig. This might be one of the biggest recaps of what Marlon and Tim have been sharing. You need to be able to read the pig during the weaning process, during transportation, setting piglets up in a new barn or location, and all throughout a pig's life. Because as both Tim and Marlon shared, a pig will tell you if they're happy. There's a lot of little mistakes. They're not major mistakes, but you add up a couple of those, you chill them a little bit here, you don't have it quite warm enough here, and all of a sudden, the pigs just want to lay around, and if they're a little bit chilled, they don't go up to the feeder. They want to lay around and sit on the couch and stay warm. So as you look at temperature, it sounds like that's a really important, critical piece of getting pigs started in the nursery. What should the barn temperature be, and should it be different for healthy pigs versus sick pigs? Every system we work for has temperature curves and guidelines for what to set barns at how many CFMs per pig, what temperature, but we teach and teach that read the pig, do what it takes to get the pig to lay out comfortably and not huddle, not pile, lays where you want it to be. Because some people will say, well, you asked for it to be 86 and it's 86 in here. And you go, look at the pig. The pig is still huddling or piling, must be drafty in here. Let's find the draft. And so, yes, we all, we all have guidelines for that nursery pig. Weight of the nursery, if you're an 11-pound pig versus a 14, you know, Marlon talked about 24 hours in advance. You know, it's a, a pre-fill plan that we do. And so you let the nursery guy or wean to finish guy know this is the pigs you're getting tomorrow. Yep, we had a little bit of purrs in there. There may be a pound and a half smaller. There's some poor pigs that are struggling. You're going to have to have the barn warmer, drier, more prepared for taking care of some sick animals versus a healthy. You got healthy groups, you know, they're coming in at 13 pounds, no problems at all. And so you got to adjust what you're doing on those pigs. And the people that don't have more issues. And Tim is exactly right. The mistake that can be made is an overassumption of a piece of paper leading the decision for you. And so as you think about, here's our best recommendation to start with, and I'm going to lean towards be aggressive in favor of the pig instead of be aggressive of saving a few pennies. And so what that means is get that barn ready, warmed up, And you always have to adjust to that pig, like Tim is saying. And part of the reality of that is not every day in Northwest Iowa is the same. And not every barn, even within a system, ventilates the same, despite our best efforts. So one guy has a grover on his building, that wind factor on that barn is different than the next guy that doesn't. And so you cannot strictly use the piece of paper because there's variation in climate from week to week at pig placement and how that barn is going to ventilate and move air and adjust to some of those things. You always have to look at that pig. You always have to be thinking about those things in that environment. And the pig tells you. So make the adjustments. The other thing relative to what Tim said that I think is helpful is I I like to be aggressive still with Even my big pigs coming in are missing mom and probably not eating well. They may be on a faster ramp down once I'm comfortable with those pigs starting out. 
versus my sicker pigs, I may be less aggressive at moving that temperature down because I know they're still struggling to find their way. So some of those decisions and how you're going to say, yeah, this group is just taking off like a rock star after four, five, six days, boom, we can push these guys and they're happy, healthy. They're, the more activity in a barn, those pigs are giving off heat doing things, eating well, that's that's critical. And so you kind of need to evaluate really that first week of a group to say, are they doing what they should be? No, they're not doing what we think they should be. We, we need to make sure we're, we're addressing what they need then to help that group that might be more challenged be successful yet. What we talked about, but just to make sure, uh, I really like zone heat. And I think Marlon does as well. Heat lamp, a brooder over a mat. And the difference that that makes in a pig, a mat makes almost an effective temperature of around five degrees. And a heat lamp or a brooder will make eight to 12 degree difference from just being out in a slatted pen or stuff like that. So if we can give that pig that option, if I'm a little cool or not quite feeling good, I'm going to lay right under that heat source on a mat. If I'm pretty good, that might be a little warm. I'll lay to the edge a little. And if I'm a bigger guy, you know, you have 20% coefficient of variation in a normal weaning group. And I may want to lay off the mat, but not to have that, it's hard to get that environment good enough for that pig that desires a warmer area. Many of the barns today don't have solid sides. Pigs like to lay by a solid side. So we'll try to have some of those in areas, maybe in our pull pens or our sick pens, have a solid side. But the more heat sources and mats that we have, it seems the better we're able to make that nursery perform. And when you look at temperatures and heat versus placements, I suppose you could say, of water and feed, which do you see outweighs the other as far as more vital to ensuring a pig is healthy and able to set itself up for a productive life? Every barn and where the inlets are, where the fans are, where the water is, you got to be able to look at a pen. I tell people, the pig will tell you is the pen set up. Pigs should be able to feel, obviously, this is the kitchen, and this is the bathroom, and this is the bedroom. And they'll tell you by where they lay. If they're laying all over the pen and there's pigs that are sleeping in the kitchen or sleeping by the water or in the bathroom, you don't have your ventilation set up right. If you've designed it with the location of the fans, location of the inlets, it should be, this is where I want my pigs to sleep. Here's the feeder, that's the kitchen. Here's where my water is. They'll do their dunging and stuff over in that area. And the pig is pretty good about recognizing that. But we've all been in the many barns that they're manuring all over the place or urinating all over. And pig doesn't know really, it's not comfortable really anywhere. And he's just picking a spot. And you haven't made one spot better for him to sleep in and be comfortable. And so there again, Read the pig, read what he's telling you, and uh, you'll be able to see the barn needs some adjustment. I like that. I've never heard it compared to a house, but I think that's a really good analogy. Pigs are smart. They certainly are. And so when you look at pigs, you know, having the intuitiveness to figure out where their feed and water are, 
what recommendations do you have about helping them get started and find feed or finding water? And, and not only that, but what are some practical ways to get those type of things done, even with having perhaps labor constraints on, on farms? We're big proponents of mat feeding. So we preach four times a day mat feeding. And very often that's separated to doing chores twice a day. And you mat feed when you enter the barn, then you go about do your chores, find your sick pigs, give your shots, uh, whatever else needs to be done. And then on the way out, you'll mat feed again. And so then you come in the afternoon for chores and you'll do that again. So it's kind of a four time a day. And so the important thing on mat feeding is to watch the pig. And so when you mat feed, they all should come running up and want to eat and boom, those are done. You don't have to look very close at those because they're feeling okay. And you look at the pig in the corner that's not coming up. Those are the ones you have to pay special attention to. And that goes back on that slide set I tell you about. Today, Marlon will attest, we teach people to find Gantt pigs. Well, you don't get Gantt overnight or I'd be skinnier than I am. Uh, you just wouldn't eat tonight and you'd be Gantt tomorrow. So we did it better, you know, when we, we got to watch those pigs and their behavior. That's tricking them into eating. They miss their mom. They miss the milk. And they ate in batches when the sow called them up. You're mimicking that behavior of, hey, everybody wake up, time to eat. And you throw something on the mat. They should come running over. Otherwise, that pig isn't starting to feel good. To me, the, the critical piece of making sure the meal opportunity is there and there's nothing undesirable about the meal opportunity. And so go back to the feeder, make sure those feeders are really clean. The feed is fresh, fresh upon arrival. I like to tell guys whether it gets done, but when you're going through and doing some of that mat feeding or gruel feeding, hop every pin, sprinkle some feed even in the feeder, you know, as you're walking through the noise, the whole sound, they start to associate all that behavior of I'm going to get up, go eat. Here's where there was a noise over here. Pigs are very curious. They like to figure out what that was. And so we tell them exactly, Tim, you said it, but piglets are used to eating every 45 minutes to an hour on the sow. And so that happens usually in concert with the whole farrowing room there's noise, there's behavior, mom calls them. So anytime you can get into that pen, get those pigs up, even just that behavior of getting up, their curiosity a lot of times will, hey, I'm, maybe I'm thirsty, I'm, I'm now up off the couch and go get a drink and, and then go eat. And so that behavior of helping them figure those two things out, I am a little bit of a fan of even gruel feeding more pens than the average person will. It's not a complicated process. I think people overcomplicate it, but it just takes that mat feeding piece and says, let's enhance it a little bit in terms of flavor, something that might intrigue them, and then let's make it more of a, a softer meal so that it's easy to consume for those pigs. And a lot of times what I like to do then is what Tim is referring to, those four feedings. The first feeding is more the wet gruel, and they fill up and then I come back and do the dry on top of that. And then that's twice in the morning, twice at night. So you're getting those four feedings. 
and you're presenting something to them both from a wet gruel that the younger pig or smaller pig might get a bigger meal on, but then he comes back and plays and says, yep, I'll chew on this. I'm happy, content. Energy levels are up from the first meal and, and away you go. Feed in particular, um, some mistakes that we see is and we need to finish. Having the right feed in front of those pigs, did you leave a little bit in the bin? That's a no-no. Clean those feed lines out appropriately. Sometimes that's not stated well, but what you get in lean to finish barns is guys will try to leave feed in their lines when it's cold out so they're not freezing. Make sure that the first feed, the first meal that that pig has is the fresh, clean meal that they need. You keep those feeders cleaned up every day, fresh feed, and, and those pigs will do just fine. You know, some of the struggles, whether it's with cups or swingers or nipple bars and stuff, I think a lot of it is just make sure that there's fresh water and if pigs are struggling to find it out, there is techniques to try to get them to make sure that they can constantly get enough water and figure out that water system in that barn, whether it's cracking a nipple a little bit or a valve. If it's cups, there may be more need of that to just make sure they know this is the key water source. And you both work with really large swine systems. Marlon, I'll ask you this question first, but how much of a difference in mortality do you see between people or barns that do a good job with starting pigs versus those that don't? The challenge with, with when people get them started, there's probably 85, 90% of those pigs that'll figure that out. The systems see probably anywhere from, you know, an extra 2 3% mortality that they didn't need wean to finish. There's that bottom, you know, one, two percent that just they needed that TLC and struggled. There's probably also some production loss in terms of just pigs getting started on feed. So healthy systems, there could be a percent to three percent. When you get a health challenge pig, it's much more dramatic. And so you can really see that mortality because those added stressful things when you have diarrhea issues or bacterial issues that pig is so much more sensitive to a colder environment maintaining electrolyte heat balance he can't do it and so then those mortality differences can be five ten percent on a wean to finish group and i like i like setting goals and so you're working with a nursery guy no matter what size and he's getting a 13 pound person michael free pig there's no reason you shouldn't be one percent or less and they look at you like, no way, and go, well, let's look at what you're doing. And very often, they're not doing just what Marlon and I just talked about, the basic management things. Or when we are talking about feeding or grueling four times a day, some people take it as a chore. Some people take it as an observation time. If you just run through and chore and throw feet on a mat and fill gruel bowls and get to the next pen and get it done, you don't have an opportunity to let the pig tell you, I don't like that feed or I'm not feeling good. I, that doesn't even strike me as interesting. I didn't come up or 10% of the pigs aren't coming up to eat the gruel. The gruel is like a protein shake for me. We usually mix it like two thirds water, one third feed, maybe some a little bit wetter than that. So it's like they'll drink obviously sooner than they'll eat. And so Think of it as a protein shake where they get their energy level up. And so you got to be observing that pig as you're feeding and grueling 
So you see, is there something wrong? And then you look at like the things Marlon said, you have different flows. You have a PERS positive flow or you have a negative flow and you set goals and you look at the other people around them. The barn that filled, you know, two weeks ago or last week, how are they doing? What's your recommendation based on what they do? And so I think you should give and set some goals so they're working towards something and then they go, boy, this seems impossible. Then they're asking you, tell me, tell me what you think I'm doing wrong that you're setting a goal of 1% and I'm getting a 3%. And so we keep score and keep working with them if uh, they're unable to achieve that. Gentlemen, we've talked about a lot of important topics and we're up here finally on our final question. We've talked about a lot of things for starting nursery pigs, but if you had to give, we'll call it your quick tweet, if you were to tweet out a recommendation to hog producers or people who work in the swine industry, what would be your takeaways for success at starting pigs? It's hard to narrow that down. Uh, <laughs> It, uh, that's why we both hesitated, but because there's so many little things that can be done wrong. But one, if you're not achieving your goal, but to have a measure or to say, if you get the pigs to eat early and come on feed at a high percentage, like 99% of my pigs come into my nursery and they get on feed, however you do that either mat feeding, gruel feeding, having a tasty feed in the feeder, whatever it takes to get them to come on feed quickly. Because if they don't eat and have something in their intestine, then they start sloughing villi, then they're more prone to diarrhea, they don't digest and get nutrients, and things start going south in a hurry. So it's very, very important we call it day one care in the in the nursery, just like we talk day one care in a farrowing barn, how important it is to get colostrum, get warmed on, get, get a teat, get on eating and gaining. Same thing in a nursery. It's day one. It's getting them started, getting them eating, because once you get them eating, most of them will stay eating. But if you don't, then they start to get gant on you and bad things happen. That would be my thing. Yeah, Delaney, I mean, I think the, the message is pretty detailed when it comes down to some of that. But if you were to try to summarize it for me, it's, you know, think about you get one good chance to start these pigs. They are babies yet and treating them accordingly is important. It is the details and your success will be noted pretty quickly on how fast you get them eating feed. And your whole goal should be to getting feed as much and as quickly as possible. And that is all a reflection of how comfortable they are in the environment, how well everything's presented to them. And usually by the third, fourth day, I will know very pretty comfortably how well you got those pigs started and, and set them off for the rest of their time in that barn. My slide for that, Delaney, is I got a golfer who just got a quadruple bogey on the first hole. and He'd like to score good this round, but if you start off a round with a quadruple bogey, he's not going to have a good score. And so if you mess up that first day or two or three, you're going to have trouble getting a good nursery turn. You know, we see it in the fall. We see it in the spring when people are in the fields and stuff. 
and they kind of miss out that first couple days. And you can't come in day four or five and turn them around and say, oh, I'm sorry, I want to get you back to good. Nope, you, you got a quadruple bogey on the first hole. You're not going to score well on this group. You're all, uh, all about the analogies, Tim. I really like that one as well. And thank you both so much for joining. You've been a wealth of information. Well, that's it for another episode of the Pig X Podcast, but don't worry, there's another episode coming in just a few short weeks. Mark your calendars now for September 7th when the next episode drops, or just hit subscribe and save yourself some time so you'll be notified as soon as that episode is published. Until next time, I'm Delaney Howell, and this has been the Pig X Podcast. Pig X is a national podcast hosted by the Pig Livability Project partners at Iowa State University, Kansas State University, and Purdue, and supported by the Iowa Pork Industry Center. For more information on the project, head to www.piglivability.org, or to inquire directly with questions regarding the project, email ipic at iastate.edu. Pig X ideas in the swine industry worth sharing.